And welcome in to this edition of Broadcaster Hour. I'm Roger Hoover coming to you from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, over there from Gainesville, Florida. We've got Kyle Crooks, and in the center of the screen from Pennsylvania, we have one of the broadcasters for the Baltimore Orioles, Jeff Arnold, who is a fan of the show. And Kyle, it's always great when we have someone that has, first of all, heard of the show when we ask them to come <laughs> be on, but then agrees to come on. It's great to see you, Jeff. How's everything going? Guys, it's going great. I, I listen to you all probably every week when I'm when I'm exercising, and so it's it's nice to, to listen and learn, and I think it's a great tool that you guys have set up here. Yeah, there's nothing like really getting you pumped up for a workout and hearing me ask. <laughs> <laughs> but Jeff, I just got I just got to avoid getting bored. That's the biggest thing when I work out. Go. Sometimes I get bored, and so so I'll put this in. I'll walk around and I'll listen to you guys. So I enjoy the show. Well, usually I bore Thank people you. to tears. I'm glad it doesn't bore you. <laughs> Um, Jeff, what, what's the offseason been like for you? I know first year there was a lot of anticipation for you, and of course this season was much, much different than what you anticipated when you got the Orioles job, and all of a sudden it's it's kind of a different beast. So uh, we'll start out just kind of what you've been up to, and what's the offseason been like for you? This has probably been the most boring offseason I have ever had. Um, I was in Baltimore from July through the very end of the season, so in September – and then as soon as we got done, I came back home to Pennsylvania. Um, I have a place in Baltimore, and I, I will typically go back every three to four weeks just to check on my mail, make sure my place hasn't burned down. Um, but it, it's just been a very low-key kind of offseason. You know, so many events have been canceled. I'm sure you guys have experienced that a little bit. So it's really just been a lot of time at home, reviewing some work, uh, just hanging out with the dogs. It hasn't been terribly exciting and, and definitely a change of pace after the last five to six years it has pretty much been go from baseball right into football right into basketball non-stop type of pace so it's been a lot different it's been refreshing in one sense but uh, i do miss uh, doing some broadcasting and what was this season like of course year one getting to the big leagues you have to be just absolutely amped pumped up and then you realize well this isn't <laughs> going to be necessarily what i signed up for yeah. calling road games off a monitor you got seven monitors in front of you so when you're leading up to the season, you're trying to figure out, okay, home games are going to be kind of similar, but road games are going to be much different. How did you handle all of it? Well, it was a very strange season, and I kind of went in with just the, the mantra of you're in the major leagues, and I don't care if it's difficult or not. I, I don't care if it's fans or no fans. Um, whatever we have to work with, um, it's on me to make sure that it's good. You know, with the Orioles, we have such a rich tradition of, of broadcasters. I mean, you had Joe Angel and Fred Manfra and a, and a lot of really good ones, Chuck Thompson and Gary Thorne, and it's just the list goes on and on. So I knew I had to be good regardless of what it was that we were working with, and I felt like that mindset really helped me out into kind of just being like, all right, let's just do it. You know, everybody is working this way. Um, there, there were some adjustments that had to be made when you were working off of monitors. It took a little bit of time to to get accustomed to it. I don't know if it necessarily was as, as big of an adjustment as I thought it was going to be. Um, but I think having a mindset of let's just do this the way we're supposed to do it. Let's be prepared. Let's figure out what our routine is and how I'm going to go about it. That was another thing that was a little challenging was trying to figure out your routine because your access was a lot different. You were doing everything over Zoom calls, and um, they wanted you to get to the ballpark just at a specific time or a specific window. That way you didn't risk getting yourself or anybody else in, infected and just kind of limiting the amount of time that you were there. 
So it took some time to figure all those things out. But uh, considering for what it was, we played uh, good baseball for really two-thirds of the season. We had a little bit of trouble at the very end. But I still look at this year as one that, that I certainly will never forget, and I will never forget it for multiple reasons. So we zone in on calling games off a monitor. Just what was the challenge like for you, and uh, what were some things you kind of picked up on as time went along that helped you out when you were calling the road games remotely? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's something that we we talked about maybe with some of our, you know, I would talk about this with other guys who would call games across the the big leagues. And um, I think maybe one of the biggest challenges was for our producer engineer and then for on the TV side for our TV producer and director, uh, just because, you know, on the TV side, you're working with a world feed. And I don't think a lot of producers probably had worked with one of those. And then for our engineer who Kevin Reed, who did a tremendous job with us the, the entire year, getting the broadcast to sound like you were actually there. And that wasn't always the easiest thing to do. Um, when you're getting all these different feeds. And so he would get there really early to make sure it sounded as as good as it could. Um, I, I kind of found that I would use the program feed most of the time and just, you know, the thing that you see at home. Um, I would occasionally look at the all nine when you have a ball hit down the line. Um, sometimes you didn't have the time to adjust to it if it was hit really hard. Um, and then there were some times as well um, where if you had multiple runners on base, especially, and a ball would get hit into the gap, or uh, maybe you had just multiple runners and a ball got hit into the outfield, that's when you'd have to use the all nine. Um, sometimes it worked better than others. It would often depend where they placed the camera. Um, there were times where maybe it was a little bit too far away and you couldn't see something, or maybe it was a little bit too close, and so you kind of had your view obstructed. So depending on where you went, you know, maybe it would help, maybe it wouldn't. Um, but I found that what I would often do is if any balls got hit into the gap, then I would turn to the all nine, especially if there were runners on base. Otherwise, I was pretty much just off the, the program feed and utilizing that to be able to call the game. Um, having a couple of cameras that would show us who was warming up, that certainly helped. But what also helped is that our producer or engineer, they would just tell me anyways. And so, that it, you know, that. but I'm glad they had it. And then the other thing, too, which was really helpful was they would have a picture of the scoreboard and the lineups. Because what we would do is I think there was one team I know of that maybe had a PR person that was at the ballpark when the games were on the road. But for the most part, the way that we found out changes was through a Slack account. And what made it difficult was the PR people, because of the tier that they were in, weren't necessarily allowed. I don't think they were allowed in the press box. And so they were stationed in a suite. So some of the information they would easily have access to most years, they might get the changes a little bit on the later side. So there were times where we would have another PR person would connect to our Slack and they would give us the changes. But sometimes things would come in a little bit late. And then every once in a while, you'd have a, a weird thing uh, pop up where, there was one time we had a, a five-man infield, um, which we had not planned for and we're not expecting. We were on doing a road game off a monitor, and we were in Buffalo, and we hadn't planned for this before, so it was trying to figure out who was going where and what we were trying to do. And So there were a couple of weird situations that came up, but I'd say that most of the time I would just kind of roll with it. I would stick with the program feed, using the all-nine every once in a while, and, uh, and just hope for the best. I mean, it was a challenge that we all had. It, it, the broadcasts weren't perfect by any stretch, but I think considering what it was, um, it probably went as well as it could have gone. 
So that's where your broadcasting journey has taken you, all the way to Oriole Park at Camden Yards. But for you, Jeff, where did it start and what was the spark? Well, it started at Dickinson College. When I went to college, I thought I was probably going to be a lawyer or something like that. And I decided, a friend of mine told me that there was a, a, a student radio station and that they broadcast sports there. So I'm a freshman. I'm brand new. I'm trying to meet people. It sounded like something that would be pretty cool to to give a try. And so I, I went in there and fell in love with it. The first game I ever did was a Dickinson College, Hamden, Sydney College football game. It was a bizarre midseason non-conference game. I don't know what we were doing there, but uh, but I realized immediately that I'm not very good at this. But if I started to work at it and practiced it, maybe asked some people that knew what they were doing, um, I could figure it out. And from there, it was pretty much just a, a trek through the, the minor leagues and then doing some different events in the offseason and then eventually getting to do some TV work and some major market radio work. And then I uh, was doing some stuff with Masson for their pregame show the year before and then eventually uh, got this opportunity with the Orioles. So it was kind of a, a winding road. Um, I, I know that at the beginning I probably wasn't very good at it, um, but I, I do credit all the experience and the, the time that I had um, to be able to do it because I went to a college where most people went there to be doctors or lawyers or doing or work in finance or something like that. I wanted to be a, a broadcaster. And because there were so many events and really just not a lot of people that wanted to do them, I got a lot of reps. And I think that helped set a nice foundation for uh, for eventually getting me to the Orioles. Hey Jeff, were there any early influences for you? you you said once you get to school you're starting to do some reps who are you listening to on the radio for you know football basketball baseball where you, you try to just learn as much as you can soak up as much as you can and when you first get on the air i was looking for some people that could teach me just some basic mechanics um that getting reps is nice but when you don't have anybody who can really teach you how to do play-by-play -play, you just try and listen to other people to to figure out how to do it so um, I would listen to Sunday Night Football with Dave Sims and Bob Trumpy, and that's actually how I would learn how to do football on the radio. And so I would just cruise around, and I'd take a break from studying or whatever, and you know I'd put their game on, and, and I learned a lot about how to do broadcasts from listening to them and some of the other highlights I would listen to from Westwood One broadcasts. That was when they would have like a Sunday doubleheader, and then they would do a Sunday Night Football game and then a Monday Night Football game. I think Marv Albert was calling it then. And then um, for basketball, where we were located, Dickinson's in this place called Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is like the center of the state right near the capital in Harrisburg. And WTAM, which broadcast the Cavaliers games, would you could get that station pretty clearly at night. And so I would listen to Joe Tate. And if you're thinking of people who could teach you basketball broadcast mechanics, um, he was just straight play-by-play, -play, so you learned a little bit of everything. So I think at the very beginning when I was calling basketball on the radio, I was probably just trying to imitate Joe Tate and do games the way he was doing them. And, and then eventually with, with baseball, I didn't do a lot of baseball in college just because we didn't have a ton of games. And we did our broadcast out of this like broom closet, which was adjacent to the dugout. So, so you, you had to be careful what you said because the players and the coaches and could all hear exactly what you were saying. Um, and so in baseball is like, I grew up in Philadelphia, so I listened to Harry Callis, who was just iconic in the, in the city. So I guess he would probably have been the influence early on. And, um, but I, I'd say a little bit of those three were probably the ones that predominantly taught me how to call the, the major three sports when I was getting into it.
And when you first get out of school, you, you said you hadn't done a lot of baseball in college. And when you go to get that first minor league gig, what are the steps? And just for college students out mm-hmm. there that are trying to figure out, okay, I, I'm graduated now. You feel like you're on the top of the world. You know, a lot of these kids are sports directors of their college stations. Mm-hmm. But then once you leave that, it's kind of like, okay, what's next? So for you, what was next? How did you take those next steps to get that first job? So when I was I was working at IMG College in Winston-Salem, which is now Learfield IMG. You know, you guys, I think, both work, work for, do games for Alabama and Florida, so you know about it. But back then, um, they had just a, a, a big pool of broadcasters. I think, I think it's probably exactly the same as it was then. And one of the broadcasters in the division that I worked in did the Winston-Salem Dash. So they were the White Sox Advanced Day team. And the same ownership group owned a team in Frisco, the Rough Riders. And so... A friend of mine got that job in Frisco, and I was looking to make the transition into minor league baseball. And so he was looking for somebody who is he was moving to Frisco pretty much sight unseen. He didn't really know anybody, and I'm sure he wanted to find somebody who he could at least see every day that was a familiar face. And I sent him my tape, and I actually went back, and I, I, I heard the tape that I sent him about a week or two ago, and it was – B-A-D, bad, <laughs> capital letters, bad. Um, but I think just the familiarity part and the fact that he needed to make a hire pretty quickly was probably what influenced him. I like to think I'm a decent guy, and um, and then I got started there. So I, I think a lot of it when it comes down to getting one of these jobs is, you know, I think some of it's luck. I think some of it's just your personality. I mean, Roger, I know you've made hires for minor league jobs before, and I've been on that side of it too, and a lot of it comes down to just being a nice guy and just being a likable guy. Um, you don't get a lot of bonus points, I think, for being a, a superstar radio person in college who's a who's not a very nice guy or, or girl or whatever. So I think it's just being a nice person and just giving off just, you know, just being nice. And if if you were what I would always look for is, do I want to hang out with this person every day for 140 games or thereabouts and if i could answer yes then and if i could hear just enough in the person's tape to to tell me like okay they they've got something here they just need some somebody to help them i was confident i could teach um but if if the person was a nice nice guy or girl and was easygoing and would fit in with our staff and would want to have a good time and just be you know just be nice and, and do their job and not complain that was generally where I started. And I know that sounds really simple and generic, um, but the, the people that just that are just moody or, or tough to deal with, like that's not a good fit for a long season. You get tired of those kinds of people pretty quickly. So, so I was just I would always try and find I would just try and be be real, be honest, be genuine, be humble. Um, don't try and oversell yourself. Um, people that would write me cover letters that would describe themselves as up and comers. I, I never liked that very much. That was a that was a little um, pretentious, I, I thought, and that was that was a turnoff. So, um, but just just being honest about your skills and what you do, and just being being easygoing, and I, I, that's kind of how I approached it when I was trying to get that first job. And and those that have sort of approached me in that sense, um, I, I find like that that either I hired them or generally they got hired someplace else. And so if if it's what you want to do, I'd say stick with it and just just be humble about it. And if you take that attitude, then then you're already off to a good start. 
Well, by the way, Roger hired me in the minor league, so I don't know what that says about. <laughs> Still one of the biggest Listen, regrets I ever. We all have regrets. You're, you're wearing the headset over there. So. I am wearing a headset. So. If anything, I bring I bring the headset to the party. You bring professionalism. I like that. Yeah, he couldn't evolve <laughs> to the AirPods. But anyway, um, doing radio in the minors is a grind on its own. Then you add in media relations. Then you add in some people's sales. Then you add in just everything that goes into it, hosting an on-field pregame show, just randomness that can be minor league baseball. How did you learn how to manage that grind and then ultimately find a rhythm that was good for you? I would probably put a lot of work in when I was on the road. So that way I would make sure that when you'd have those days that inevitably would come up where you needed to go to the airport and pick somebody up, or when you had a, an event, you know, I did marketing in the minors where you had an event that was your responsibility and you would have clients that would come in or you would maybe have just a million roster moves or something like that that would happen. Like we all know those those all-star games that were, or those games after, you know, the, right into the second half of the season, you get a million roster moves. Sometimes your complete roster would change over. And so... What I would try and do was prepare as much as I could on the road so that way I would have some leftovers when we came home and you would maybe have those days where you just you didn't have a whole lot of time to do your broadcasts and your, your preparation. So um, so I, I felt like that was a, a big part of it. And then just, you know, I think you develop confidence and you sort of figure out what you have and what you can do um, when you, you don't have the time necessary to prepare and, and you learn more about doing the basics and and doing the things that as broadcasters we're supposed to be doing. You know, we, we dive so much into our prep sometimes that we forget to just watch the field and what's going on in front of us. And a lot of the times that's the most important thing anyways. Yeah, were there any uh, kind of bad habits you feel like you had maybe early in your time in baseball that you were able to correct? And then just anything else kind of from your earliest days, whether in Frisco or later on in Frederick, that you were really glad you worked on and you heard that critique and the light bulb went off like, why did I ever do that, you know? Well, after the first game I did in Frisco, I thought I was going to be fired. Honestly, it was that bad. I was it was it was terrible. Um, I, I'm I'm and, and the first year was largely a, a learning year. Um, I think it just started with basic mechanics. You know, I had some crutch words and phrases that were probably not supposed to use. I would always I would use the word gonna a lot, G O N N A, which is not really a word anyways. And I don't know why I did it, but I just did. And so that was something I had to to get rid of. Um, the other thing that I worked on really from year one to year two and then year two to year three was voice. When I, I told you about the tape that I listened to, uh, it was too high. Like I was not in the right vocal spot. So it was using the lower register of my voice a little bit better to be able to, you know, just make it more comfortable and easygoing. And um, so so that was probably the, the biggest couple of things right away. You know, voice is something that I still work on and just making sure that, you know, I've I've got the right amount of energy with each broadcast that I do, and and so whenever I'm putting on a tape, that's probably one of the first things that I'm that I'm looking for. Jeff, have you ever used a, a voice coach or anything? Mm -hmm. You have what's what's that experience like? Does that does that help a lot for you? So when I actually I actually I was a singer when I was a kid, okay. so my mom put me in voice lessons. Um, I sung the national anthem a bunch when I was in the minor leagues. I was like. That was another weird job I had in the minors. I was the emergency national anthem singer. So it was a little bit weird. But, um, yeah, my mom put me in voice lessons when I was a kid. And it was just it was back then for singing. But a lot of those same things were kind of just or things that I revisit now. It's just 
how to, you know, breathing from your diaphragm, right amount of breath support, just picking the spots in your voice to use, because a lot of it comes from just breathing the right way. And if you can, you can do that and hit on that, then I think it can allow you to access the, the best part of your voice for, for doing broadcasts. And when you think about big moments and big calls, the one thing that we never want to do as broadcasters is scream and make mm-hmm. that hit red and, and have the audio pop. For you throughout the years, what's been the key to getting that right volume but not peaking in those big moments? I think as you mature, you kind of understand that a little bit more. So what's that been like for you trying to specifically when it comes to highlights, really nailing those? So uh, Brian Anderson and I actually had this conversation uh, back in November, and we were talking a little bit about voice usage and how to call big moments. And he said that it it kind of one of the things that you'd want to do is just sort of assign values to your calls. So it's like, was that a five? Was that a six? Was that a seven? You know, was that an eight? You're probably not getting a whole lot of eights. And that's one of the things that that I try and look at when I analyze maybe some of my bigger calls and when you're maybe cutting highlights or just going back and listening to the the post game, you know, show calls when you're when you're doing your highlight recap. And so what I would really try and do is make sure that I'm I kind of know where we are in the season, know the range that I'm trying to be in. Like we had this stretch this year with the Orioles where we we went on a winning streak for about a week. And a lot of people said that we were probably going to be uh, one of the worst teams in baseball. You know, some were not very kind to us um, in, in how things turned out. We, we did a lot better than expected. But we had this stretch against the Nationals and the Phillies. And it was a time where there were probably a lot more seven calls for me. And there was an eight caller too. I think there was a time where, where I overcooked it at times, if I'm being honest, and I go back and listen to it. Um, but I think one of the things I've focused on this offseason has just been that. When it comes to big calls, picking spots to analyze like, all right, was that, the, was that a seven? Was that worth a seven? Was that an eight? Was that really worth an eight? And realizing that the moments that are the biggest – you're probably only going to reserve the. You're going to only reserve your your biggest calls for those kinds of moments. You know, if we're if we've lost five games in a row and we're removed from the playoffs, you're not going to be hearing one of those incredible like one of those big time calls. It's just it's contrived. It doesn't sound like it doesn't match up with what the season or the game is giving you. Um, so I think it's just putting the season and the game in a larger context and understanding that. Um, you know, a lot of those bigger calls where you're getting the sevens, eights, and, you know, on the rare occasion when you hit a nine, um, those aren't going to come along too often. But, uh, but just, just trying to, you know, hit it and then quickly come down and not just, not just overdo it. And then, like you said, never scream. Yeah, you certainly never want to do that. Uh, again, for you, you're making your way through the minor leagues. So what were you doing in some of the off-seasons to not only just continue working on your skills, but also uh, give yourself some really great broadcasting assignments? Right. So in the, in the off-season, it kind of started when I was in Frederick where, um, where I would do a, a whole batch of different things. It started with more local stuff. Like I had a friend of ours who was a sports information director at a, a Division three school, and so I maybe would start off doing some doing some college football and college basketball. And you guys know how it is when you move to a new place, it takes some time to build up your, your resume and to get events. But the better job that you do, 
the more opportunities you're eventually going to have. And so for me, it kind of morphed into doing some stuff with a small division one college, doing some women's basketball, men's basketball. I did some lacrosse for them. That's a, that was a big sport for them too. And then eventually doing George Washington men's and women's basketball. I did some ACC network extra stuff, probably similar to what you guys do for, for SEC network plus um, doing baseball and doing basketball uh, and doing some other Olympic sports and, and stuff like that as well. And then I was doing some things for 1067 The Fan, which was a, a DC station at the time, and it still is. Um, but I would do all those types of things. And then um, I started doing some stuff with the Orioles on Mass and like, um, you know, being in a rebuild, you're trying to fill your pregame show. And that's not always the easiest thing to do in an 162 game season. And so they really like to focus on the minor league players. And we had some different prospects who had int- interesting stories. And so they sort of let me tell them. And um, that I, I'm really thankful that the producers at Masson were, were willing to give me a shot and letting me to do that uh, because it helped them. It helped me. And it, it probably you know put me on their radar a little bit more. So I found that when I was doing offseason stuff, that was maybe even more important than the stuff I was doing with baseball in season um, because you're, you're trying to build your resume. And I, I know that there's, there's plenty of people that do, you know, double a baseball, triple a baseball, and then just sales in the off season, of high school sports. And, and that's fine. And if, and, and some people get their, their opportunities by doing that. Uh, we, one of the great things about broadcasting is that there's, there's not one way to get to the finish line. We, we all get to do it different ways and people come from all kinds of different backgrounds. Um, but I, I personally, if it was me, I, I was just trying to do as many events that were a little bit more higher profile to show major league teams and people like the Orioles that you can put me on a bigger platform and I can do just as good of a job as I'm doing during the minor league season. And I certainly think that helped. And then again, you were doing uh, the Frederick Keys, so they were uh, affiliate of the Orioles. And a lot of people that go into minor league baseball are always hoping that, okay, you latch on to an organization, you're able to right. climb through the organization and make that transition, and you were able to do that. Just what were some of the steps you took along the way to where last offseason they were comfortable in hiring you full-time? Right. So what I would always try and do on off days is I would go to Camden Yards, and um, I got to know um, everybody on their PR staff, you know, a bunch of them are friends of mine and a bunch of them are still there. Um, I got to know the person who is now uh, my big boss. Um, I, I met him at, at a winter meetings and connected with him. And so he said, hey, here's my cell. Anytime you're around, um, just let me know. And so I wouldn't do it all the time. Like, I, I'm, I'm not saying on every single off day I would text him and say, hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm here. But, you know, once, twice a season, say, hey, love to see you to catch up and a lot of the times we we wouldn't be talking about me we wouldn't be talking about um what i was doing with my career a lot of times it was hey what are the orioles doing you know what are some events that you have planned um you know getting to know him a little bit more as a human being um i eventually you know i met our executive producer who who i'd gotten to know and i'd corresponded with in person um you know our tv producer um she and i are good friends and so I would sit in the truck with her and I would just watch and see what she was doing. And she would just point out little things about, you know, hey, you know, you notice this like that's something that, that's good to do. You see this like that's something maybe you may not want to do. Um, and so it was just taking all those experiences. I got to know all our writers, too. And and it was like I was I was helping myself. But in some ways I was helping them. I would I would check in and I would give them updates and, you know, I could answer some of their questions and. 
And so I sort of saw myself as like, I, I was trying to obviously put myself in a position where they could get to know me, but I was also trying to be somebody that could be a help to them and give them some ideas for maybe some things that we were doing, maybe in Frederick that, you know, they might be looking at promotions wise because they were trying a whole bunch of different things. And then also some of our writers to give them some information about our guys and to tell them what was going on and answer any questions that they had. So being humble again and just being a good resource, um, putting yourself out there, but also not trying too hard either. Um, that was that was the approach that I was taken. I think they could kind of sense, you know, hey, I'm over here. Like, I, I would I would love to be part of your broadcast team if you ever have an opening. But um, I, I think it was it was kind of when when they brought in a new senior leadership team and you know, being in a real rebuild, sometimes it means, you know, changes are made in more areas than just on the field. And uh, and I'm thankful that they decided to, to take a shot with me when they decided to, to make some of their changes. So was there ever, I assume there was a, a formal interview process or was it just kind of they knew who you were throughout the years? And, and if you had that interview process, kind of what was that, what were the steps like before you got the job? I sort of viewed every one of those trips in as kind of an ongoing interview process. And every day that I was with one of their affiliates as just an ongoing interview process, like being easy to work with, you know, for your manager and coaches and baseball people um, and execs when they would maybe come to town. Um, and and so it, it kind of was like I would, like I said, I corresponded with this this person and and he, he knew what was going on. He knew what was happening. I told him, like, I, I was very open with, like, hey, if there's ever an opportunity, it'd be something I'd love to be a part of. And and we'd had some some different meetings and chatted about it briefly. So he knew where I stood and what I was what I was looking to do. And so when they they reached out initially, it was, hey, we're, we're looking at maybe making some changes. Uh, if you could send us some of your work. Um we'd really appreciate it. And so they kind of told me what they wanted and, and I sent it to them and I obviously listened to it beforehand and, and just hope for the best. And, uh, so that was in November and then about a month went by and I'm fortunate that it was at least a, a busy month for me where I had events. My sister was getting married. I was going on a vacation at the time and, and they were busy too. And I'm sure they had a lot of decisions to make. And so I reached out right before Christmas and he said, um, you know, we're, we're still working through some things, but hopeful we're going to have an answer for you just after the first of the year. So um, right after the first of the year, I think I was out of the office because I was I had a shift for 1067 that day. I come back that night and I see an email from him and I looked at it and it said, hey, um, you got some time to talk on the phone tomorrow. At this point, I was kind of thinking if this is bad news, he probably would have just emailed me about it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't just get on the phone with me and tell me, no. Um, and, and so I, I talked to him on the phone the next day and he said, Hey, um, we're looking at somebody that could do maybe 150 games to an entire schedule for us. Um, and, uh, it's, and we obviously would love to, to work with you. And so they brought me in a couple of days later, sat down, had a meeting, um, all went well. And then, um, about a week later, they called me and said, uh, Hey, um, we, we want to bring you on board and this is what we want to do. And, um, we were kind of, kind of off and running from there. So it was like, it was like a, a long period of just waiting and hoping. And then we got into the new year. And once we had that initial call, it was pretty much just off to the races. 
And it was the first year in the bigs for you and, and Mel- Melanie Newman, who was making some history, getting mm-hmm. a chance to, to be, in, be in the booth. And how much did you guys lean on each other? Because you're in a similar situation. And even for her, I mean, she's facing mm-hmm. maybe a lot extra when it comes to pressure, being a, a female in that spot. And uh, how much did you kind of help each other throughout that first year? Mel and I were friends before we got there. So I think that certainly helped. Um, but, but I, I, I think like we, we would just be very open and honest and candid and, and I tried to help her as, as much as I possibly could and be as good of a partner as I could be and answer whatever questions that I could have. You know, one of the advantages that I had that is I was with an Orioles affiliate before and a lot of the players in the major leagues were, were people I already knew and I had a sense as to, to what they were, even if I hadn't seen some of them play in a couple of years, but I, I had a better sense as to kind of how it all worked. And so I think I helped her in, in that respect. And, and then just, you know, with some, some other basic things, answering some questions. And um, so I think it definitely helped to have her. And then Brett Hollander, who's another friend of mine, we went to college together, actually, with two broadcasters from the Orioles coming from little old Dickinson College, probably really? going against the odds there a little bit. But, um, but it was the same kind of thing with him, too, you know, helping him adjust. And he helped me adjust because he's – he used to work on the Orioles broadcast when Joe Angel and Fred Manfred were doing the games and they were on WBAL. So he had a little bit more experience on the major league side and just how the everyday kind of went. So that certainly helped. And I think as a group, we we all helped each other. You know, Kevin Brown is is a great guy and, and a really talented broadcaster. And and so we, we kind of formed a unique bond. We got along really well. We would do Zoom calls with opposing broadcasters. And um, I think just having a a, a batch of people that were around the same age that were newer to the major leagues and, and wanted uh, to succeed themselves, but also wanted each other to succeed. Um, I know that sounds kind of corny, but I, I really feel like it was genuine. And, and uh, I think we were all pretty excited for, for each other's successes uh, this year. Yeah. When you go online to the Orioles website and you go to that broadcasters tab, <laughs> I think there are more broadcasters. I'm there's enough space. <laughs> I know. Like you can't even put their bios down for all you guys. There are so many of you. Uh, but I imagine with all the different play by play people, studio hosts, former players, analysts, TV, radio, all that stuff, it's got to make it very fresh every day because you're able to mix and match a lot, both on TV and radio. It certainly is. And, and everybody has a different style and does it a different way. Like you might have one broadcaster who's more story oriented. You might have one who can kind of do it all. You might have somebody that understands the history of the organization a little bit better. And so for me, one of the things that I enjoyed was I could work with a bunch of different people and we could do a bunch of different things. So you got a lot of different sounding broadcasts where Maybe it's more geared towards this. Maybe it's more geared towards that. Obviously, our number one priority is is the game. It's talking about the game in front of us and, and what is happening and what is going on. But it's also trying to get the most out of my partner's skill set and, and just figuring out what that was. Um, and so I, I think people that, like you said, would listen in got a, a fresh perspective um, pretty often. And, and I thought that was kind of cool. A lot of experience for you this past year on the radio, but what can you tell us about the games you were able to do on Masson and getting to do television baseball? What was it like kind of dipping into those waters in the big leagues? Yeah, so um, when I when I got my uh, – when I when it was all finalized and we kind of had everything finished, um, I was getting ready to move into uh, my place in Baltimore, and my boss calls me and he says, hey, um, we're, we're really excited to have you, and um, we're actually going to have you do a couple of spring training broadcasts 
um, this year on Masson. So he kind of gave me a number on, on what he thought it was going to be. And, um, and so the, the schedule comes out. We, we, I get there on a Wednesday, and, and we get the schedule from our executive producer, and I, I look at it. And I'm looking at, like, radio assignments, and, and I had probably about a, a week to just settle in, which I thought was really nice. You know, uh, we have somebody who does our, our digital broadcasts um, when they're not on the radio or on mass, and then we had Kevin was doing, I think, the first one or two on the radio, but I look at the schedule and the first game that I was doing was actually on Masson. So, so I was a little bit more amped up probably than normal for it. I was working with Ben McDonald, which is great. He's a tremendous analyst, both uh, you guys know him from the sec network yeah. and ESPN, but uh, also in just an awesome broadcaster with the Orioles. And I, I really love working with him. So, so it was not, if you're going to work, a, a, do a TV broadcast in the big leagues and, and your first games with Ben McDonald, you're going to be just fine. So anyways, um, I get there probably a lot earlier than I typically would. And uh, Rob, Rob Long, who does studio for us and hosts a morning show on 105.7 The Fan, which is our radio flagship, he comes up to the booth and uh, he says, hey, uh, by the way, this game, uh, I hear this is also on the MLB network. So in addition <laughs> to doing my first big league game, um, it was on Mass and it was also on the MLB network. And I, I think what also made me comfortable is I knew our producer really well, and she made me really relaxed and having been there, too. And spring training broadcast can be a little bit more talk show hosty type of broadcast anyways, where you're talking to the manager, you're talking to players. We have Bob Kendrick from the from the knee release baseball Hall of Fame come in and he told some great stories. And we had one of our beat writers come in. So it just was kind of like moving from thing to thing. And so I definitely overprepared for the first one. But once we got into it, it just it flowed. It was easy. And then when um, when they released the schedule for the regular season, I, I wasn't expecting to do any games on Masson. Um, but just because of some of the health and safety protocols and things like that, um, Gary Thorne didn't end up coming coming in. And then, uh, you know, Scott Garceau was doing some more games. So they let me and Kevin do some some games on Masson. And my first my first set was a was a doubleheader against the Yankees. And um, and so it was a blast. I had so much fun doing it. I like being able to set up analysts and I got to know Ben really well because, you know, I'm stuck in my apartment in Baltimore. He's stuck in a hotel. And so we would we would spend time talking the game every day. So I felt like when we started doing TV together that I had some some stories from him and some things that I knew he would want to talk about if the right moment arrived came up in the game. And so that made me feel really good that, that he was there. And I, I had a blast doing it. I really enjoy doing baseball on TV because it's just figuring out how to make it flow the right way, setting up your analyst enough, getting some stats in, but making sure that, you know, it's there's silence, too, and that it's not too much talking. Um, and just trying to find that right mix, I think, is what makes television a lot of fun. And let's let's flip over to radio. Jeff, and I always ask this question to every baseball guy that we have on. Where do you draw the line in, in being descriptive and maybe throwing out too many words in, in certain situations, like a ground ball to second, you're using you know seven different descriptors as opposed to <laughs> maybe trying to economize. And I'm, I'm guilty of that because I'm kind of selfish in the way like I want to do as much as I can. But what's, what's the balance for you between too much and, and enough? There's definitely a time and place for everything. Like, there's some times where you might want to try and hit some things on the back end if it really is a great play. You want to make sure you're staying on top of the play, obviously. And so that's why I try and keep it a little bit more simple. I don't try and use too many uh, 
too many big words. I heard Len Casper talking about this a little bit last week. Like, I don't need to be a thesaurus um, to just let you know that I that I know what I'm doing. Um, I, I will try and change it up, but I don't want to be too annoying about it. Um, I, I don't need to. I don't have a list of words written down in front of me that I just want to get in on the broadcast. Um, it, it's just kind of judging off of what I see in front of me and what happens, keeping it more simple. If there is a need to maybe get some extra descriptors in or describe something a little bit more because it was a great play, then I'll try and do that on the very back end. Like we had this one play against the Phillies this year where Rio Ruiz made this incredible diving stop and basically from his chest he like shoveled the ball across the diamond to second base and and got the guy out like i'm trying to hit that call as much as i can but i can only give you so much initially so maybe it's hitting some points on the back end of it so i think just not being afraid to to use the back end to get in some of those descriptors um an extra thing or two is fine here and there but every once in a while it's just ground ball to second he's got it he throws on to first for out number one. Not every play is created equal, and and some can be described in, in more layman's terms than others. And you mentioned you're you obviously you love storytelling, but when we when we talk about numbers, sometimes baseball there's a lot of them, and you can kind of saturate a broadcast with a lot of numbers. How do you utilize them? We we know the basics of batting average, home runs, RBI, stolen bases, and then we, we dive into this new world of numbers. How much do you dive into the new analytics that are out there? Because of who the Orioles are and, and just the emphasis on numbers, analytics, high-speed video, you name it, you know, the organization certainly is into those types of things and using them as tools to help their players. And sometimes those things can really tell a, a story about a player. But I, I often think about, you know, what is 65-year-old Betty in Baltimore thinking when I start going into XFIP? I'm going to lose her. And um, one story that Ben told me was when he was in a grocery store, somebody came up to him who was an older baseball fan and said, you know, the one thing I like about you is that when I, I listen to the game, I feel like, I know exactly what's going on and you're not talking over my head. And so what I will try and do sometimes with the analytics, if it tells a part of the story is to maybe break it down in more layman's terms. Like rather than talking about the difference between ERA and FIP, you might want to just say his ERA was high last year, but there were times where he was a little bit unlucky. You know, it could, it could be something as, as simple as that. And there are times in a broadcast where you need people to just take your word for it, because if you try and throw too many fancy terms or numbers out there, you'll lose them. If I can't tell you what it means in about 10 seconds, then it probably is either A, not worth it, or B, worth explaining it in a way that's a little bit more simple or just kind of casually throwing it in. Numbers are great, but if you throw too many numbers in there, then I also feel like it disguises the numbers that really matter and that are a real part of the story. People can look up batting average or any of these number of things on their phone. Um, so what I'll try and do is like a lot of times first time up, you know, I'll give you something that matters. I'm not going to give you the whole, you know, he's hitting this with however many home runs and however many RBIs. That was a thing of the past. Now it's like, I'm going to try and tell you something that will put this guy's current, you know, how he's doing either on the year or in this stretch of games into a snapshot. And then maybe I can go into it a little bit more later if it's warranted. 
And then looking at storytelling as well, how do you approach that when you're on the radio? And then kind of as a follow-up to that, just how did you approach getting some unique things from the clubhouse because of all the Zoom calls and things over this past year? You just can't go off to a guy just one-on-one away from the rest of the media. How did you kind of manage that this past year? Because like I told you, I, I had worked with some of these players before. I had a unique advantage. And what I what I would do is I had interviews that I did with some of these players when they were in Frederick. And maybe some of them were a couple years old. But it, I, what I would always try and do, because our pregame show when I was in the minors, sometimes I would just do a longer interview because it would give me more time to fill out my book on those games where we were at home and I'm just scrambling to get ready. So I would ask a lot of evergreen questions that were maybe not just – particularly germane to that game coming up and then I could hold on to some of the, and I held on to all those interviews and I would go through some of them and I would put some of those stories in throughout the broadcast and then when we would do radio interviews a lot of times the players would call me and then I would tape it at home and so after I got done with those calls then I would maybe spend a little bit of extra time on the phone with the person and I would maybe ask another couple of questions and say hey can you explain to me like like you throw a fastball, it's 94, but it's cutting a lot. I asked this to one of our relievers, and, and and he's like, well, like that's actually my fastball, but it just has all this natural cut to it. My cutter actually is a pitch that looks like this. So it's just a little thing that I can talk about rather than misidentifying what the pitch is. And so I would maybe spend – that's not something you do on a Zoom call with a million people. So I would just take the time after I would do the radio interviews to ask some of those questions and pick up some – some extra tidbits that I could use. And then the other advantage I had too is we would do a twice a week podcast with um, usually a minor league player on one day or a minor league coach from our alternate site. And then we would have a major league player, major league coach. And so those would be the times where I would ask more evergreen kind of questions. And then I could repurpose those and use those on the air. It's not perfect. And it's not the type of access that you would have if you were in the clubhouse, at the cage, whatever. But in 2020, it was probably the best we were going to do. And, and I'm fortunate that at least I, I had enough stuff and enough stories to get by. And then as well, making the transition from calling minor league baseball to major league baseball, were there any big differences you really noticed or anything you had to get used to early on once you were calling all major league games? There was, there was a little bit. I think some of it initially was just trying to figure out the effects that are how, how our producer like to ride the effects and also maybe on the TV side, how our, how our audio guy like to use the effects and, and to just kind of go back and watch and listen to make sure I was getting over top of them, that I wasn't under them. You know, I, I think that took a little bit of time. I, I realized that our, our, our engineer on radio, he would like to make it sound like you're at the ballpark and that you're there. But that can sometimes mean that you got to make sure that your energy is good enough so you can get over top of it and that you're not coming across as monotone. So it took a little bit of an adjustment as I was going. What I would have him do too is adjust my headset levels and lower it a little bit. I wanted him to do that because I was concerned that with no fans there and especially on the road that my energy off a monitor was not going to be as good as it could have been. So I would really have him turn the headset volume down and that would force me to put a little bit more into it and have enough energy. And then when I'd go back and listen, I'd just make sure okay, the energy is good enough here. Okay, maybe it was a little bit too much there, but I eventually found kind of the, the right balance and the right medium. So that's maybe a little bit more of a, a technical thing. Uh, the game moves a little bit slower in the major leagues. And when I was in double A, you know, I think every level you go up, it would go a little bit slower. And so in, 
in advanced day baseball, like sometimes you got guys ambushing pitchers on the first pitch and, and you'd have these really quick at bats and sometimes maybe not the best approaches, but in the major leagues, it's a little different. You'd have some longer at bats and the game would last a little bit longer. So making sure to just realize that silence is okay. Uh, you don't have to overdo it uh, with, with just information and just keep talking and talking and talking. Sometimes you, you're just like, all right, I have this and, and this is good enough in this window of time. And I'm going to just go with that as opposed to um, just realizing the game is taking longer and, and feeling the need to just talk a lot more. There's nothing I love more than a good TV effects feed. Roger will tell you that. <laughs> Father, you in the country for uh, effects feeds. Um, let me ask you about prep. Scorebook, I used to throw everything in there, everything under the sun, and try to throw every color under the sun in my book. Um, for you, is it what does it look like? What's, what's the canvas when it comes to your scorebook? So uh, one of the things that I'm probably going to change a little bit this year is how I – how I have prep for game days. Uh, what I would do is I would put all, I would load up my book. You know, it sounds kind of like what you would do. And I'd put a lot of different things in there. Um, basically like I had some different colors and things that I would throw in there. I would take different notes that I wanted to put in and maybe I'd put in in my book, like just some of the basic numbers. And then maybe I'd put in a trend between that and the name. I use the Bob Carpenter scorebook. And then on top of the lines for each thing, I would maybe throw in a couple of keywords or two or just a few things that I might be able to go to on a player. I would obviously not use a lot of it, maybe 10%. Um, but I ha I'd have my database in front of me, but there's just so much stuff in it that I would just try and pick out what really mattered. So I think what I'm going to do this year is just go to a little bit more of a simple, like I'll put the name, I'll put some of the numbers, I might put a trend, but then I'll take a, a couple of talking points and just put them on a Word document and just have like, here are a couple of different things. Um, that way I'll be able to read it a little bit better. It didn't cause me any problems, but I would be lying if I told you that um, my my handwriting is probably similar to hieroglyphics, like the kind of writing that if you turn the book upside down, you might try and see if you could make any better sense of it that way. Um, so what, I, what I'm probably going to do is just shift some of it to a separate sheet of paper going into this year. That's that's what I think I want to do going into this year. But typically, I just I load up my book. I put a lot of different things in there. Um, I keep track of all the different pitches too, so that way it's easier for me to say, well, it's a seven pitch at bat rather than you know looking at game day and maybe it being a, a second or two behind or the MLB research tool and it being a, a second or two behind. And um, that's another thing I learned when you know remote broadcast. Sometimes the bug would you know update a little bit late, so I just I didn't want to be wrong, and so. I, I do a lot of stuff with my scorebook. It's it's very busy. Um, maybe maybe not the 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 style that a lot of people would use, but but I feel like probably this year some some changes are, are coming. How do you try and stay in, stay ahead of your prep? Because there's not a lot of days off when you get into the grind of, and you probably were able to learn this in the minor leagues, so you're prepped for this, but. You say you have a series against the Angels Monday through Wednesday, and then you have a Friday through a Sunday series against the Yankees. How much are you working on the Yankees while you're playing the Angels? I probably started doing some stuff on the next team at the very end of the series that we were going to play. I feel like this offseason has been also about getting ahead on some just basic kind of things going into next season 
that's maybe one of the challenges that I have right now is trying to figure out how do I prepare for the upcoming season when, you know, we're planning to play 162 games, but we don't know for a fact that that's exactly what we're going to do. And if we don't play that number of games, how exactly is that going to change our schedule? So a lot of what I've been doing right now has just been Oriole stuff. I stick with divisional opponents right now if I'm going to be adding different things. And I have these databases. I use Google Docs on every single team, and I have tabs on every player. And if somebody gets traded and I maybe don't have a page on that team yet, then I'll just I'll shift them to an extra players page. And that way, when I do that doc on their team, I've got all their information there. Um, a lot of what we would try and do on Orioles broadcast, too, is, you know, I think a lot of local TV broadcasts or radio broadcasts, you're probably in that 70-30 range, like 70% about your team, 30% about the opposing team. With the Orioles, it's maybe a little bit more like 80-20 or so, and just because there's so many things they want us to dive into, they'd like us to talk about the minor leagues, um, because that's where a lot of our best prospects are right now, so we can spend some time doing that. Maybe not a ton, but we can. And so what I'll try and do, I think, this upcoming year is day or two beforehand just started getting some basic nuggets and information down. And I think at the very beginning of this year, I overdid it with prep for, for the other team. I felt like I had to know everything about the Yankees or the Red Sox or whatever. And I quickly came to realize, hey, you, you don't need to do that. Like, it's, it's okay if you just have a note or two for some players you don't know a ton of stuff about. And that's where you can have conversations and Zooms with other broadcasters and they can fill you in and um, you know, you're, it's still a broadcast mostly about your team. You want to know stuff about the other club. Um, but I, I feel like too, it was, it, it's, I think last year taught me is just how much to prepare about the other team, because if you overdo it, you're, you're taking time away from learning more about your own guys. Um, but you're also sometimes wearing yourself out a little bit too. And, and when you have a long baseball season or, or a 60 game baseball season, that felt a lot longer than that, uh, that can, that can wear you out a bit. No doubt. Well, we all get better by critiques that come in about our work, and then self-critiques are so important as well. Uh, whether it was in the minors or where you are now, how much would you listen back to, whether it was full games, did you feel like you needed to listen to some full innings or full games, or maybe just a couple of highlights from each night, just kind of see where you are, and how much has self-critiquing helped you? Probably this year, I listened a lot more than I typically did. Um, I have a, a broadcast coach that I use who is who's really good. And so what I would do with him is we would spend off days picking maybe specific innings to go over. And a lot of the innings that I would want to revisit with him this year were innings where weird stuff happened or non-routine plays happened. So I gave you the example earlier about how we were in Buffalo and we were we had a five man infield. Um, Brandon Hyde, our manager, came out to the mound um, with one out. The winning run is at third base. We didn't score in a first extra inning. And I was just like, this is weird. Like, he, he doesn't come out in these types of spots. Well, we went to a five-man infield. And meanwhile, we're in Buffalo, and the all nine was too far away. And they had everybody kind of in a circle. So you couldn't really tell who was going where. And suddenly I looked at the outfield, and there are only two guys out there. I'm like, Oh man, I'm, I hope that I, I got to try and figure this out. And our director was trying to do the same exact thing in the truck. And so I was trying to buy time and stall and talk a little bit about it and what we were trying to do and maybe some of the thinking behind this. And then I eventually found out who the, who the extra infielder was. And I was able to say he also played infield when he was in the minor leagues. So it makes sense that he's out there. 
And so revisiting situations like that, uh, revisiting weird types of things that come up or just non-routine types of plays that happen, those are things that I would talk about with that coach who would help me with radio. And then on the TV side, when our what I would do is sometimes call our producer on the way home. She would be in the car and I would be in the car and, and we just talked for five or ten minutes about a play or two that came up and I'd say, hey, how did you think I handled that? How did you think I dealt with that? It's a little different when I was in the minors. I would pick Sundays as a day to listen to my broadcast and what I liked to do was pick just random innings um, because I felt like you're supposed to make your entire broadcast good. And so it should probably every inning is supposed to, you're supposed to be doing the right mechanics and you're supposed to be executing the right way. And so I would just click on random innings to see if I was on task and if I was doing the right thing. And so that's probably how I would listen then. Um, but now I think it's a little bit more focused on weird innings, things that come up that are not routine. And then also just going back and listening to energy. I told you about making assigning the right numbers to the right big calls and just flow and am I talking too much and can I have a little bit more silence there um, and just just a lot of basic things this offseason I've listened to some full games a lot of full games actually um, just because I don't really have any broadcast that I'm preparing for so it's been a little bit unusual in that sense um, but but I, I typically think right now I'm looking more at weird innings non-routine innings and sometimes just doing the occasional well let's click on the fifth inning of this game and just see how it sounds you mentioned you have a broadcast coach uh how often do you meet with that coach and is it someone that's been a play-by-play broadcaster before an executive just how helpful has uh, that person been to your career they're they're a current executive and they're also somebody that they're also somebody that used to be a play-by-play person themselves and they've coached a lot of really good uh play-by-play talent talk show talent things like that so what we would do is we would meet on off days and we would go over some different things. And sometimes we might, you know, spend 20 to 30 minutes on it. Sometimes we might go an hour. Um, so I'd say this is maybe like a, a biweekly endeavor during this past season. I'm not sure kind of how, how this year is going to work. I think maybe I'll take a little easier going into this season. when We expect to play a lot more games. Um, but we, we kind of talked during the season and then we've talked a couple of times in the off season where we spent some time going over, um, my radio work. And then, you know, I, I like to just cut up some different innings. So that way next year I can go back and listen to improvement. And it's a lot easier to just pick innings that you had before and going back and listening to those, as opposed to just trying to go back to listen to an entire game before and try and notice progress. So what, what we would do is we've met a couple of times in the off season, we've identified some goals and some things that I want to improve on that I want to do better. We did kind of an assessment talking about strengths, weaknesses some opportunities for for getting better and then some things that i I really got to be careful of so i I feel like that has been a huge help not everybody wants wants to get coaching that way but but i prefer to just have a couple of people around me who i know are always going to tell me the truth and between that and me checking myself uh hopefully we don't get too many uh nasty comments on on twitter or social media we all love Twitter. Twitter is such a beautiful <laughs> It's It's the best, isn't it? <laughs> it's the best. And uh, Jeff, this will be the final question. I think this is a good sentiment to end it on. Your overall kind of overarching advice for those that are grinding in the minors right now that 
want to realize that dream, that dream that you have the opportunity now to be living and, and so many others have the opportunity to be living because they they spent those years to grind it out. So what's just your, your final thoughts here on, on those people that are trying to move up the ladder? I would say, number one, um, just because you might be an A ball or a double A or whatever, don't feel like that necessarily means that you're not ready for a major league job. Um, a lot of what I put my time and effort in was the off season and being able to have good work that could show that I could do bigger things on bigger stages. And when I got my opportunity with the Orioles, I showed that that was valid. Um, getting to know people in your organization who um, can help you and don't be afraid to tell people what it is that you want to do. If you're, if you're not willing to put it out there, then they're not going to know that you had that interest. Um, I, I didn't, I wasn't annoying about it when I talked to, uh, the people with the Orioles, but I also let them know, Hey, I'm over here. I'm not that far away. I think I do a pretty good job. And if you have an opportunity, I'd like to be part of that. So letting those people know where you stand, asking for feedback, being easygoing and just being able to get along with different people that you work with in the off season to elevate your profile. Um, be it doing bigger events at and be more than just a, a minor league brought you a little bit from the pack. Um, and then lastly, just realize that the comparison game never is a good one to play. Um, I feel like we are all running our own races. Um, you know, if everybody's lives is kind of like a NASCAR event, like we're all kind of just, we're going around our own circles. Like I'm not going in Roger's circle or, or your circle, Kyle. It, it's I'm doing what I'm doing and you guys are doing what you're doing. And I can't affect what somebody else does, but the only thing I'm in control of is my own performance and getting better at what I'm doing every day. And if I keep putting my best foot forward and I have talent and I'm putting myself in all the best spots I can be in to succeed, eventually something good I, I feel like is going to happen. It may not happen as fast as I want it to happen, but as long as we don't look so much at the time piece and we just focus on our own improvement and just doing all the little things that we're supposed to be doing, then I think one way or another uh, it ends up working out for the better. And certainly did for you. Uh, congratulations again on the opportunity with the Orioles. And we're looking forward to hearing you again, whether it's on radio or television <laughs> this year, whether it's for 162, 60, 100, whatever it may be. Uh, we're excited for you and Orioles baseball. So just, Jeff, thank you for your time and insights today. You joined the Broadcaster Hour Club of Going Over the Hour. So congratulations. <laughs> wow. I, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm honored that, that I've been able to, to kind of hit that club. And, and thanks for having me on. I mean, I love this podcast and just, just you know, with, with guys like Len and Boog and, and just you have so many great guests. Roy Philpott's a, a buddy of mine that, that, that's been on this show, too. He's a great guy and just has a great story. So I'm, I'm honored that you asked. And, uh, and thanks for including me uh, on Broadcaster Hour. Thanks, Jeff. Our thanks to Jeff Arnold and thank all of you for watching Broadcaster Hour. We will be back with you next Friday. See you then.